0: Listen, it's always exciting to be reminded in his presence that he's given us far more life than we could have ever received outside of him. You ever feel that before you get inside of his presence? He's beginning to transform you as you're singing worship songs, as you're declaring that he is good. You're starting to understand and you begin to realize that, man, I, there is no life like his. Yeah. There's no life like His his life is transforming. In his presence, lives are transformed. Have you you witnessed that? Yes. Who has been transformed in his presence? That's me. Amen. Let us then be transformed by the word this morning. Come on. Let us hop straight into the scriptures this morning. This morning, the message is going to be titled, Clarifying the Call. Clarity. Philippians 4, verse 9 says, Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. Somebody say, put it into practice. Yes, sir. And the God of peace will be with you. Come on, isn't that interesting? There's steps to this. You first have to hear, receive. And once you receive the word, you have to put it into practice. Come on. Can you recall a time where you were not very good at something? Yeah, but through diligence over time, you learned it and gained confidence.
1: Oh, oh yeah. Oh, yeah.
0: It's because you put it into practice. When you put something into practice, you became good in it, good at it. And soon enough, you'll be able to teach it. And then you have confidence in it. This works the same way in the kingdom. You're not quite sure how it's going to turn out. But through time partnered with unwavering discipline, Something is formed in the process. This is what clarifying the call process looks like for every single one of us. Come on, who wants clarity in their life? Who wants to know that what they are doing is God, is from God, is inspired by the Lord. It's not by your own mind, it's by His. We all need to clarify the call. And we're going to talk about today how to do it. (laughs) Clarifying the call does not come from more study. It comes from implementing the things that you have already learned. That's good. We're going to remind you today, we are in a church with many great teachings. But it falls short every single time until you, tar- until you start implementing them. That's part of the clarifying the calling. You've heard it said before, you can't teach a dog new tricks, or old dog new tricks, I think better said, you should teach new pups old tricks. Why? Just because something can be more effective doesn't mean it's better. We've been given instructions that have sanctified and set apart mankind from the beginning. You can't come up with something better. The Word of God is the greatest treasure that this world has ever received, amen? Amen. Why then do we rush to obtain only fool's gold? You think you got something great, but really it's worth nothing. It looks good to the eye, but it's doing good for no one. But the treasure that we've received, the Word of God, has literally transformed lives since the beginning of mankind. Before ever moving forward, we must understand today that the treasure in which we received is more than enough. It works as a tool to clarify the call, but we're also called to implement every single word of it. Before ever instructing others, you yourself must be the one who has been instructed and has completed the instructed task. Wisdom is the product that comes from man's completed work. You want wisdom? Go and complete some work. Mm -hmm. Wisdom's not knowing more. Wisdom comes with an experience. And a part of clarifying the calling is you start to experience the calling of God on your life Mm. from your movement, from your actions, from what you do. You know what's doesn't produce wisdom like practically YouTube, Google, or any other form of instant information so easily accessible. We have men and women running around like they know something, but really all they are is stimulated. Oh, man, that was hard work. No, son, you watched six hours of YouTube today. you watch other people working hard on YouTube you did not work hard what this is creating in man or in men is are those who literally resemble Megamind, <laughs> a huge noggin with tiny limbs to actually carry out such a, a, a thought yeah. <laughs> how many of you No, literally and we're about to get into the word I, I know I'm big yeah, going.
1: We I'm
0: trying to paint a picture for you this morning I'm serious. Tell me that you've not felt the effects of your puffed up thoughts that our mind can have. Your head becomes heavier than your actual body to be able to do the work. I call this top heavy. Go to stand up to do something but fall on your face every time. Because the thought of doing something becomes heavier than actually doing it. I know this is a silly thought, but it's absolutely true, and it, it's, it's plagued my life at times. Could you, have you ever thought yourself out of doing something? Yes. Have you ever thought yourself that you had a really great revelation of something, but that revelation fell short because you didn't ever do anything with the revelation? Yes. That's the opposite of clarifying the call. And listen, I know all of you want to live in that type of clarity. Men... You will always be more satisfied with what you do rather than what you think about doing. The only way a calling is clarified is through faithfulness to the instructions that you have been given already. And watching the fruit over time naturally take form. This is a natural process. But men, you have to walk forward in the things that God has given you today. You want clarity to use the tools that's already been given to you. Listen, 1 Corinthians 14, verse 6. It says, Now, brothers, if I come to you and speak in tongues, what good will I be to you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or word of instruction? Even in this case of lifeless things that make no sounds, such as the flute or harp. How will anyone know what tune is being played unless there is a a distinction in the notes? Again, if the trumpet does not sound a clear call, who will get ready for battle? Church, you know me. I love speaking in tongues. I love to prophesy. I love the Holy Spirit-empowered life. But what I'm afraid of Is that if we don't hear and obey prophecy, then God may not speak to us anymore. How much more his scriptures. If you have not individually for yourself heard from the Lord in a while. And the first thing you must ask yourself is, did I obey him the last time he spoke? In the same light, how long has it been since you have gained revelation in the scriptures? A lot of times we're twiddling our thumbs and we're honestly thinking ourselves into a panic because we're saying things like, God, you're not speaking to me. You're not speaking to me. You're not speaking to me. What, what, What happened? What did you do with the last thing that he spoke to you? Yeah. If we want to be vessels of God, we also have to be faithful men who carry out his word. And a lot of clarity and a lack thereof clarity that we have in our life is due to us not taking what God has given and running with the word that he's given to us already. Don't get confused. God loves to speak with his children. But he will speak the same message over and over again until his sons get it. Why? Because he is helping you clarify the call. If you're tired of being in the same place you probably need to grow a greater obedience because obedience to the Word of God is the only thing that clarifies the call
1: so we're reading this scripture and it says again if the trumpet does not sound a clear call who will get ready for battle our intentions today is to sound a clear call to minister out of clarity so that we'll all get ready for battle yeah. and get moving. Yeah. You see here that there's a couple of things that can easily cloud our judgment. And we're going to read this in James 1, chapter 19. It's going to be 19 through verse 25. It says, My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. We're actually going to read through the scripture. It says, therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror. And after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. So let's go back up in this scripture and let's take a look at what it's saying. The call is clear. The trumpet sounds. Everyone is ready for battle. But you can imagine as you're going out to battle, a thick fog rolling into the battlefield. You know, I can't see where the heck I'm going right now. And we read in this scripture, it says, for man's anger or frustration does not bring about what God desires. So you just being like trying to blow the cloud away in your frustration is not going to work. There's something greater that needs to take place. And we read it further in the scripture. But sitting on the battlefield brewing in frustration does not bring about the righteousness of Christ. You have to break out of that frustration. The call is clear. The path is straight. Constantly being frustrated with your failures will not clear the flog. Just the same, constantly being frustrated with your spouse will not clear your house. In fact, man's anger works against righteous deeds. The frustration works against clarifying the call. We're going to look into this word anger for a second here. And it's Strong's number 3709. And it's orgie. Sounds a bit Italian, but it's not. It means anger or the natural disposition or temper or character. What we want to highlight inside of that is the natural disposition part. You are naturally Inclined to be frustrated with your circumstances. Good work. To rid ourselves of the fog, we must wage war against the natural disposition to be frustrated or angry. Romans 8 verse 20 says the creation was subject to frustration. So we've all been subjected to this frustration. But how can we call ourselves new creations if we are living under that subjugation? It is only natural as the creation to be frustrated, but how could we call ourselves new creations? Now this one's kind of funny right here, but if you read the word, orge, it's O-R-G-E. The Greek word for anger is orge, very close to the mythical creature, ogre. Okay, It's pretty close. Very close to Ogre, the mythical creature that's a brute beast and has no clarity. <laughs> Only living in reaction to everything coming against it. Wow. Get out of my swamp. <laughs> as soon as someone comes against you or you step onto the battlefield, he's like, I'm, screw you, man. And you're following your natural instincts instead of clarifying the call. Second Peter 2, 12, and Jude, verse 10, Call those who follow these mere natural instincts irrational animals with no sense of where they are going, only living in reaction to the circumstances around you. But now we shall dispel the fog, rid ourselves of the inner ogre, and accept the clarified call to more. Continuing on in this verse, we see the solution for this problem, to drive out these things that are within our heart, to clear the fog in an actual way it says therefore get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves do what it says to clear away the fog of our natural disposition we have to do something entirely unnatural humble yourself Who's got a problem with humility? But to humble ourselves is the first step, but we want to clarify today, it's not the last step. Humility is not the final answer, or beating yourself up, or woe is me. Accepting the word that is planted in you is. That is actually the next step. Doing what it says. Simply listening but not doing is an even thicker fog than frustration. You're only going to trap yourselves further in this confusion of what you're called to. This will only make the little evil in you much greater, showing up not just in you, but the generations after you. Accepting, treasuring, and implanting the word being given to you has the power to save you from the ogre in your home. This practice has the power to save you from subjugation to frustration in yourself. Let's emphasize that for a second. The practice of doing these things is the sanctification work. If you don't put these things into practice, like we were just reading at first, then these things only get thicker and you only get more confused. But the practice itself is what's driving away. The willingness is driving it away. In verse 23, we see this. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. Looking into yourselves is a dirty mirror. Does that make sense? Okay, you're stuck in the fog, you're confused, clouded by uncertainty. But facing the perfect law, the law of freedom, brings clarity. It's like looking in a crystal blue lake. The depths are unknown, the future is unknown, how deep it is is unknown. But when you see yourself in its life, you see something far more beautiful than yourselves. There are no more excuses. Amen. The word of God is clear. And it, it is the thing that we are looking into. You got to jump in not knowing how far obedience will take you. And that's the process of clearing away the fog. This states that not only will he be blessed in the one thing he set out to do, but in all that we set our hands to work, relationships, everything comes from this point. To clear away that fog, we intentionally look into the word of God and we practice doing it. Do not muddy the word of God by your lack of action to stand for truth within your home. These are the things that make us confused. These are the things that slow us down. They make it way harder than it has to be. But actually looking intently into it with the intention of obeying it, is the practice that clarifies these things. It is clear that we must do what God has instructed us to do.
0: Let's turn to Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. And say, clarifying the call when you get there. Clarifying the call. Clarifying the call. Amen. Verse 4 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all of your strength. These commands I give to you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them On your foreheads, write them on the door frames of your house and on your gates. When the Lord your God brings you into a land, he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you a land with large, flourishing cities you did not build, houses filled with all kinds of good things you did not provide, wells you did not dig, and vineyards and olive groves you did not plant. Then, when you eat and are satisfied, be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt out of the land of slavery. Amen. What I love about Deuteronomy 6 is that from the beginning, God knew that in order to live as a people who have his commandments impressed upon their hearts, it would require daily interaction and initiation in the word. Come on, you can see from the beginning that God called out Israel to be a distinct people. Is that true? Yeah. Yeah. You see in Deuteronomy 6 that they're taking drastic measures to do what? Keep the word impressed in their hearts. They knew it was the tool. They knew that it was exactly what they needed to be able to move forward and be the distinct people that God called them to, to be. When things got confusing, they looked to the commandments of the Lord. And guess what? They followed them. God warns Israel here. He says, hey, listen, when you have received all that you want, remember that it was the Lord, your God, who brought you all the way here. Yeah. Did you know that the word of God not only clarifies the calling, but it reminds us of where we came from and where we're going each day? Mm. That even despite our circumstances, the word of God is the standard. It's the fixed truth. And it causes us to be the distinct people. Like Deuteronomy 6, we have to make drastic measures in our lives to make sure that the word is always before us. Why? Because it brings forth clarity. And clarity is what we need to move forward in the call. These things are practices. It is things
1: that you do daily to train in the way of righteousness. It says they did it even while they were eating. Like, what type of bread do you want? The word of God or something that's going to fill you temporarily? These things, a moment of eating for 30 minutes can satisfy your belly. A moment of getting in the word for 30 minutes can change the generations after you. It can change an entire line of people. We're going to read in Acts 2, verse 36, the response of the people to the word of God being brought to them. Acts 2, verse 37. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Not, what shall we talk about next week? (laughs) Brothers, what shall we do? We have many here today that no doubt have been cut to heart by the word of God. But it must go further than that. Our response every single time has to be, what will I do with what's been given to me? Not, what shall I learn? Their response to Peter and the other apostles was immediate. And that made it effective. That's something that we have to understand. The immediacy in which they took made it effective. If you are lacking in effectiveness, in your practice lately, examine the urgency that you carry each time the word of God is brought to you. If you're lacking in effectiveness, examine your urgency. Do you wait a couple days to obey what's been given to you? Do you wait until service ends to obey what the Lord's given you? There's no restrictions here. Yeah, How quickly are you going to run to respond? If it is a slower spot, then understand that the effectiveness is being dulled by your lack of immediate response. You are slowly degrading the weapons that you do have, the weapons that have been placed in your hand, by letting them rust. It's our immediacy that brings effectiveness. Proverbs 20 verse 4 says, Sluggards do not plow in season, so at harvest time they look but find nothing. In Acts 2, they were cut to the heart and immediately put their conviction into practice. In Proverbs 20, it was clearly time to plow and practice, but they did not. And so when they expected time to reap, their, their efforts came, they found absolutely zero harvest. They found that all of their previous work had been in vain because they did not plow in season or the right time. Urgency fulfills effectiveness. Examine your urgency today to implement what's been given to you. If it's been a year of plowing without the fruit of your labor, then test your glad heart to practice the word immediately upon hearing. These men who had in their hearts to implement immediately go on to be said later in the chapter, they've devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and to fellowship and the breaking of bread. This was their practical responses to being cut to the heart. They immediately put it into practice. This passage continues, but you understand the point. If you are lacking effectiveness, examine your urgency to implement. There was response, Their response was immediate, and that made it effective. What makes a gallows effective, if you think about it? It's the weight of the object and the quickness at which it arrives. If you have been given a seed that is very weighty, you have been given a seed that is very weighty, and you must deliver it quickly. And you... Or it'll lose its effectiveness. This is the only way we will destroy or behead Ahab and Jezebel. The word of God has to be delivered quickly and so effectively in our response to it.
0: Come on, as we're beginning to unravel this for you, can you call to mind some areas in your life that you may have not been quick to obey the word of the Lord? God speaks clearly. But we don't obey quickly. It can lose, like we were saying, it can lose its effectiveness. You know that God's going to put you in that situation many times until you get it right. He's going to speak the word. And he's looking to see which sons of his will get up and effectively move. Amen. And what has been given to him. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 24. It says, do not Do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Oh, come on. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. Say aimlessly. Aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Listen, God's word sets the standard. Amen. And, and it sets the pace in which we run. It doesn't matter if you like jogging. It doesn't matter if you like speed walking. The word of God calls us to run. And it causes us to run in a specific pace. You know why? Because he didn't create sons just to, just to make it at the finish line. He created sons to win the race. Yes. We have to raise our standard today and realize that we may have some wicked rebellion left in us that is causing confusion in our calling that says, I'll get to the finish line whenever I want to get to the finish line. Whenever... This in itself is producing something ungodly in us because we never want to win anymore. We're okay with just getting third place. This shows in so many different levels of your life in the way that you receive words from God and the ways that you receive encouragement from your brothers and the ways that you consider others. There's a lack of urgency in you Probably because somewhere along the way you got confused and discouraged about the calling. But son, the only way for the calling to be clarified is to listen to the word and obey the word quickly. If you want to have clarified calling, if you want to be um, clarified in your calling, you must run the race to win. You, you have all that you need today, even if it's a small word. Wholeheartedly run after what God has already spoken to you. Yes. What God is building in His people is a tenacity and drive to get up and do what has been spoken into their ears today. Amen. This, pro- this process will help tremendously in clarifying the call. Just move. Just move. How many days do you wake up and you have that decision? I'm either gonna move forward today or I'm gonna stay right here. Yeah. Can I tell you having clear direction is one of the most beautiful gifts a man or woman could ever have for the day? Yeah. That's true. Just move on the clear direction that you do have and guess what? He'll unravel the scroll. Yeah, that's right. He'll unravel all the other answers that you need but my encouragement to you today is just move. You doing circles and having all these mega mind level thoughts (laughs) is doing nothing but causing you to be still. My encouragement to you this morning is just move. This eliminates all aimlessness because God, he will give you the direction to walk forward to. And if you forgot, go back. Remember, just as they did in Deuteronomy, And understand that God speaks clearly to his children. He never called you to a life of aimlessness. We're going to look at this
1: concept in Psalm 119, verse 130. It says, The unfolding of your word gives light or illumination. It imparts understanding to the simple. Now, we're going to read this word unfolding in the Hebrew. And the word is pita, Strong's number 6608, kind of like some good pita bread. The word means opening, unfolding, entrance, or doorway. We're going to talk about entering into the doorway. Okay, Walking through the doorway of the word was always meant to give illumination to the calling. Some of us simply have to pass the threshold of doing the word and when we pass that door, he declares that he will impart understanding to the simple. But these things are meant to be simple at first for a reason. You have to step through the threshold of doing it. And then he declares to us that he will impart the understanding. Yeah. Those simply obeying what they've come to already understand instead of looking for something new to understand. Those are the men who changed the world. But to some, doing the word every day has seemed like an impossible gate rather than a doorway. It seems like a giant wall in your life just to do it rather than a doorway to walk through. Something that your father literally opened for you. He opened the door and he said, walk through and I'll tell you what's going to come afterwards. And we're like, no, man, that's a big gate. I can't walk through that. When we begin this process of practice, he declares that then and only then will the call be clarified. So if you are confused and in that fog, step out and step into the doorway or the threshold of doing it. He also stood up before When we begin this process of practice, this is the sanctification work that brings us into the light, into the illumination. We see this in Jehu's life. Jehu got up after he deemed the message was for him. He also stood up before he knew what the message was. How much more you remnant church who know the good you ought to do. When you know that the message is for you, it's time to run. We see this concept clearly displayed in Saul's conversion, and we'll turn there now.
0: Acts 9, verse 4. It says, And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. Jesus demands Saul to rise and enter the city, and as you go, you will be
1: instructed on what you are to do. It emphasized here that the men men here with Paul stood speechless by what happened. But Paul stood up from what happened. There's a difference. The ones who stand up after what has impacted them go on to have sons in the faith, to plant churches, to change the world. These men just simply carried Paul to the next thing that he had to do. You can either stand there speechless or you can get up and start moving. Night and day they pray and hear him speak But do not stand up and walk with him. You notice that these men here stood speechless. They heard him, but that was good enough for them. They heard about him, but that was good enough. Paul heard his voice. He couldn't see yet, but he went so he could see. The word of God brought illumination to Saul, blinding him for a moment, but imparting understanding at the end. He could not see in the moment, but open hearing, upon hearing, he decided in his heart that he would get up and walk. He decided that he would get up and walk through the doorway or the threshold of doing it. Upon walking through that threshold, in glorious understanding and clarity for all who dare to get up off the ground. To walk with God is to rise up from the ground and then after walking a bit, be told what to do.
0: Come on. Leonard Ravenhill said, a man with an experience of God is never at the mercy of a man with an argument. For an experience of God that costs something is worth something and does something. Paul then goes
1: blind, and they lead him to Damascus, where he would meet Ananias. On the way, he did not see for three days, nor did he eat or drink. An experience of God that costs something is worth something and does something. The practice of stepping through doorways, having no idea what's on the other side, is the process of sanctification. He promises that he will clarify the call, but you will never surpass that threshold without stepping into it. He goes on to meet Ananias, and God reveals what he will do for the rest of his life. But It was just barely over the threshold. He stepped only one foot into the threshold, and God revealed everything for his entire life. But the Lord said to him, go, for he has chosen, he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. To some, this doorway is greatly to be feared, and for others, the doorway is a great opportunity. We must choose this opportunity to make just one step. It's all about one step. It's not about, <clears throat> it's about running with intention.
0: Do you want to be men and women of action? Yes. Yes. Do you want to have clarified calling? Yes. Yes. Amen. We're going to go to 2 Kings 9. Oh, it would only yeah. be appropriate that we read in the Kings today because you know what? We're raising up future Kings. Amen over the last few weeks we've been in the Kings we've been talking about Kings we've been talking about some specific characters and this morning we're going to be talking about Jehu but guess what Ahab and Jezebel are involved in this as well oh no who's in 2nd Kings verse 1 it says the prophet Elijah say say Elijah Elijah. summoned a man from a company of the prophets and said to him Tuck your cloak into your belt. Take this flask of oil with you and go to Ramoth Gilead. Gilead. When you get there, look for Jehu son of Jehoshaphat. Yeah, look for that man. The son of Nimshi. Go to him, get him away from his companions and take him into an inner room. Then take the flask and pour the oil on his head and declare, This is what the Lord says. I anoint you, king over Israel. Then then open the door and run. Don't delay. (laughs) Someone say Jehu. 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 Do you remember a few weeks ago the message, a reckless anointing? Mm -hmm. That was a good word from Pastor Mike. We read through this passage before. This was the passage that he read from. I want to remind you of a few points today. Jehu was a man with a clear call. Somebody say clear call. clear call? You see here that Elijah the prophet is about to come to him with a word from heaven. Elijah was a man of action too. This is why he was instructed as one of God's prophets. Yeah Listen, the dude tucks in his cloak. He's like, "Let's go. I'm about to run, like you saying bolt right now." Yeah. It's like girding up my loins. I'm about to go deliver this word of God. <laughs> exactly straight sprints out the door. No delay. And that's what we are called to do as well. Elijah was a man of action. This is why he was entrusted as one of God's prophets. Listen, if you want to prophesy, you better be a man of the word. He tucks in his cloak because he's about to take off like force gum. Come on, who can admire a man like that? Yeah. Running hard because he doesn't want the will of God to be delayed in his life. Come on, who wants to be men and women whose the will of God is not delayed? Yeah, come on. It hits its target at its intended time. Jehu is about to become the beneficiary of another man's obedience Mm. to not only hearing the word, but taking the word to the appointed king to come. And guess what? It's about to clarify a call we read here
1: in the following verses, in verse 4. So the young man, the prophet, went to Ramoth Gilead. When he arrived, he found the army officers sitting together. I have a message for you, commander. He said, for which of us? Asked Jehu. For you, commander, he replied. Jehu got up and went into the house. Then the prophet poured the oil on Jehu's head and declared, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I anoint you king over the Lord's prophets. Can you see here how he didn't know what the message was and he got up? He got up and went into the house and then he receives what he's to do. All he knows is that the message is for him. And if there's people sitting in here who are saying the message isn't for me, you will do nothing. But if you say, oh, these brothers are preaching. right. This one's for me. I'm about to get it right now. That's the people who will change the world. The people are like, man, that's a good word for you, bud. (laughs) You're going to do nothing. Verse 7, you are to destroy the house of Ahab, your master. And I will avenge the blood of my servants, the prophets, and the blood of all the Lord's servants shed by Jezebel. The whole house of Ahab will perish. I will cut off from Ahab every last male in Israel, slave or free. I will make the house of Ahab like the house of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, and like the house of Basha, son of Ahijah. As for Jezebel, dogs will devour her on the plot of ground at Jezreel, and no one will bury her. Then he opened the door and ran. Come on! He opened the door and he ran. When Jehu went out to his fellow officers, one of them asked him, Is everything all right? why did this madman come to you? <laughs> you know the man and the sort of things he says, Jehu replied. That's not true, they said. Tell us, Jehu said. Here is what he told me. This is what the Lord says. I anoint you king over Israel. They hurried and took their clothes and spread them under him on the bare steps. Then they blew the trumpet and shouted, Jehu is king.
0: Come on, let's go. Somebody say, long live the king. Long live the king. Come on, here we see that Elijah has now anointed Jehu, the reckless man, as king of Israel. We can all agree this morning that these men are men of action, right? They both have received instructions. And if we were to move forward in 2 Kings 9 you would see that Jehu carries out the call that God has given him. God calls Jehu to destroy the line of Ahab. Somebody say Ahab. 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 And kill the queen Jezebel. Do any of you remember what Ahab represented in the Bible? What we have been learning the last two weeks is that Ahab in his nature was Passive. Isn't it interesting that God would use men like Jehu to eliminate characteristics (laughs) like Ahab? Yeah. Mom, we've been searching our hearts. We're like, man, I've been passive in this way, this way, and this way. Well, become like Jehu. He goes and he kills and destroys the whole house of Ahab. What does that represent? If you are a man of action with a clear call, then you will do nothing but destroy Ahab-like tendencies in your life. The first thing that Jehu is instructed to do is to find out where the offspring of Ahab lied and destroy them. Where are they at? Church, like Jehu, we are called not only to receive the word, but to fulfill the word. The word of God will go to war with our Ahab tendencies, but will you let his word do its work through you? Come on, we are no Ahabs in here. There are no Jezebels in here in Jesus' name. But the way to ensure that there isn't any of them left within us or within this church is that we represent and be like Jehu or Elijah here in 2 Kings 9. Amen. Amen. Jehu allowed the word of God to literally work through him and the first action was to eliminate Ahab's house. The thing's working against the establishment of God's kingdom. Listen, Ahab tendencies cannot and do not belong in the kingdom of God. Amen. All this passivity, all this, maybe I'll do it tomorrow. Anything but receiving the Word of God and doing the Word of God must die today. If you want clarified calling, then you must live like Jehu. You can't live like Ahab. Jehu like action will eliminate Ahab like tendencies and crush the spirit of Ahab. Amen? Praise the Lord. Listen, I'm going to give you some reminders and examples. Of the Ahab spirit. The thing that Jehu literally destroyed here in 2 Kings 9. Here are some examples of the things that Ahab spirit loves. Number one. Ahab spirit loves fear. Ahab hid in the castle. Avoiding war slash conflict. He carried a spirit of fear. Fear of man. Short range thinking. And literally walked out. The opposite of faith. Yeah. This is what the Jehu comes to destroy. Yeah. Number two, Ahab loves entitlement. King Ahab was spoiled his entire royal life. Killed Naboth for land. In his vineyard. He just got what he wanted. And then he believed that he deserved it. The Ahab spirit loves Victimhood. Always a victim, never
1: anything else. Even going on to call Elijah his troubler.
0: Always troubling me. (laughs) Four, Ahab's spirits love coddling. Ahab was like a boy. Jezebel was like his mother. The dude was literally married to his mother. This is literally... With men like Jehu are coming to destroy. Amen. Number five, emotionalism. He loves emotionalism. Ahab's spirit loves emotionally <coughs> manipulating others. Ahab is the king of Israel, commands an army, and rules a nation from a throne in a castle. He is also known to sulk, whine, throw fits, and act like a toddler. <laughs> Yeah. According to the scriptures. Help me, Lord. Number six, an Ahab spirit loves flattery. It's insecure and passive. Controls and manipulates by flattery. In bed, sulking, Jezebel, his wife, said to him, Thou art of great authority, and now governeth well. <laughs> Little Ahab. Yeah. Sitting in his bed and acting like I don't have good words for that. Number seven, Ahab's spirits love perversion. And Ahab's spirit loves sexual perversions. Hmm. These things only work against a son of God's calling and causes confusion rather than clarity of the calling in which you have received. But guess what? We're raising up Jehu's in this place. We're raising up Elijah's in this place today to go kill the whole household of Ahab and to watch Jezebel, fall in Jesus' name. Come on, we're going to read in chapter 10 now,
1: and this will be our last passage. Second Kings 10, verse 9 and 11. It says, the next morning Jehu went out. He stood before all the people and said, you are innocent. It was I who conspired against my master and killed him. But who killed all these? Now then, know then that not a word the Lord has spoken against that House of Ahab will fail. The Lord has done what he has promised through his servant Elijah. So Jehu killed everybody in Jezreel who remained at the house of Ahab, as well as his chief men, his close friends, and his priest, leaving him no survivor and his cousin too. Jehu knew what God had called him to do. This was shown through his actions which ultimately eliminates Ahab's household. We see here that not a remnant of Ahab was left to be standing. This is the type of bold action we must take with our family, brothers, and disciples. There wasn't a third cousin of Ahab that remained standing. We got to get it all. Not an ounce or anything left. Like 1 Corinthians 14.8, again, if the trumpet does not sound a clear call, who will get ready for battle? To fight for the clear call of God on each of our lives, we must take immediate, bold action to stand for the truth of God's word. Amen. We must sound the clear trumpet that sounds the clear call. Rise up and take in action into battle. Elisha tucked his belt and got moving. Jehu ran out of the door. Paul got up off the ground and walked. The men in Acts 2 were cut to the heart and immediately responded with divinely directed action, with their immediacy leading their effectiveness. The men of remnant church have heard and seen the clear call of God and are rising to meet the foes at battle. The men of remnant church have pledged to live according to the word and kill off any Ahab tendencies within us. We will lead the charge in a broken generation. For bold faith and daring works like Jehu, we will stand up and take action within our own homes to fend off frustration and the subjugation of the creation to live for holy masculinity as new creations in Christ. To be like the king is our aim and the thrones of Ahab are our claim. Come on now, we're getting poetic up in this joint. To take back the territory that's been stolen is our mission. And holy aggression, our disposition. (laughs) We will not sit up or shut up in the face of the barking dogs of Jezebel. Instead, we will command them to devour her. The call is clear and our purpose sure. And you will stand for righteousness because the victory is already yours. Well and who's ready to stand for righteousness yeah. can stand to
0: your feet with us. Our last passage is going to be Revelation 2, verse 19. It says, "I know
1: your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance." And that you are now doing more than you did at first. And that's that type of immediacy that we're talking about. For the one who says, I've done enough, nothing will be done. But for the one who is effectively sharpening and practicing his sword every day, oh, he's going to cut off the Ahab and the Jezebel. How precious is the work that has been done already within our body. But how much more do we have to accomplish We are being sanctified by the ongoing work of carrying the call out. These men went forth in faith, doing more than they did at first, running head first into the fire. How much greater can we walk in the characteristics of Christ and join together as one body, getting our eyes up off the ground and watching as the king illuminates our path? Step over the threshold, and he will impart understanding to the simple. We're going to be a church
0: who walks in the process of clarifying the call. Because the last thing we're going to be is confused about what God's called us to. Revelation 2 says that you are now doing more than you did at first. I believe that this is this church. You are doing more than ever before. But he does admonish them that you tolerate that woman Jezebel. Listen, Jehu didn't tolerate Jezebel. You shouldn't either. I'm ready to see men of God who get up and do great exploits for him and don't fall into sexual sin. I'm ready to see men who get up and do something for the Lord and don't backslide after 10 years of ministry. If we want to be men who stand faithful in the end, We have to be men who walk through the process of clarifying our call. This requires that we take the words that have been given to us today, what's already in there, growing it through the actions, and walking it out each day.